Go ahead and grab a seat and open up your Bible to Acts chapter 2, please. Our second scripture reading will be taken from Acts chapter 2, and we'll be reading verses 1 to 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this evening, we're going to be talking about, as you may have guessed from the two passages, the Holy Spirit. And I've titled the the sermon, Noema, or Pnoema, or however you want to pronounce it. Um, It's the Greek word for spirit in the New Testament. And that word, very literal, which by the way, literal translations don't really work all the time, but, but more often than not is translated as breath. And, and in Genesis, as we're going to see, it's the same sort of word translated in the Hebrew. And here we're going to be looking at two important texts to understand the Holy Spirit, which as many of us know is probably the least understood of the Trinity, of the triune nature of God. You know, we're comfortable with the Jesus thing, we're comfortable with God, but the Holy Spirit gets weird and mystical, and so we sometimes back away from it, I think to our detriment. And, and so consider tonight, and my goal tonight is to help you consider your, there's a, I put a slide up actually after the, the sermon if you want to go to it, uh, your pneumatology or your theology, that's your word of the day, all right? Your pneumatology, or if you just want to make it sound easier, your pneumatology. How you think of the Holy Spirit. What do you think of when you think of the Holy Spirit? That's word of the day. Um, Because what we're going to be doing in the coming weeks is we're actually going to go through each of the fruit of the Spirit as listed in Galatians 5. And the Apostle Paul says that the fruit of the Spirit, the things that come from the Spirit, from the breath of God our love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And so if we want to understand these things, we need to understand the foundation of these things. Remember, as we talked about two weeks ago, the list we're going to study in Galatians 5 is not just a good idea. It's not just a, hey, pick one or two of these things to be good at. Paul says that if we are faithful... That that if we are men and women who believe in Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected, then we will have the Spirit, and these things will come from the Spirit of God in our life. 
In a way, they're almost mandates. As Jesus says, how can a good tree bear bad fruit? The fruit we must bear in our life must come from the Spirit. And we must understand the very foundation of the Holy Spirit's role in our life. You know, and if you needed any extra uh, reminder, look at this picture. This is a house with a foundation problem. And if you look at the house, you see there's a crack underneath the window that someone decided, I'm just going to try and cover it. And then there's this new crack forming. Now, what's going to happen to this house if no one addresses this foundation is something like this. Go to the next picture. It's a different house, but this is what will happen eventually to a house with foundation problems that's never adjusted. If you've ever seen it, what actually happens is the foundation begins to fail and the house pulls apart. And if we think about our theology, if we think about our lives, if we think about this life we're building with all of our Bible study and our attendance at church and our relationships, we are building a spiritual house of sorts. And if our foundation is not solid and based on the truth of Scripture, a tragedy can occur. Many of you have known people, maybe this happened to you once, where a crisis happened in life or something really difficult happened, and all of a sudden you realize that this thing you have been placing all of your stock in was not worth placing your stock in. So tonight we will study two very well-known passages And I think we're going to have uh, a little bit of revelation tonight. So let's first look at the Acts passage. Um, We'll go through these verses. And so, you know, keep your Bibles open. And there's a couple of other verses and and passages we may switch to. But starting in Acts chapter 2, we see, you know, and many of us know this story. What happens? You know, Jesus has died. He's resurrected. and, And he has said, hey, wait in Jerusalem because I'm going to do something great. I am going to send a helper, another counselor, to help you. And as we know, and as we've re- just read, that the, uh, this big sound of a wind comes, and, and something like tongues of fire come into the room and rest on all of the disciples and the apostles present. And I don't really know what to do with this, because I don't know what a tongue of fire looks like. <laughs> but I would imagine that this is, obviously, it's, it's metaphorical in the way that, you know, in Revelation 19, you may remember this story if you've ever read it, um, when it talks about the faithful coming with a big sword from its mouth, and all the earth will bow before him. It, I don't know if, if, if something's going to come from heaven in Revelation 19 with an actual sword out of its mouth, and in the same way, I don't know if they were actually these giant sort of big licking tongues of fire, but we know that the Spirit of God came into this room, and they describe it as a tongue of fire. And that this spirit enables them to do something amazing. And I want you to look closely at verse 4 with me. In verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as what? As the Spirit enabled them. Yeah, the first thing I want to point out for you is that the Holy Spirit has desires and will for your life. See, many of us think as the Holy Spirit is some passive thing, that that it's sort of like a well and we can go to it when we need help and that we can go to it when we need something. But in reality, we see here that the Holy Spirit actually has a desire and a will for us. And in this story, the purpose was for these disciples to be able to speak in the languages of those that were present. 
The Holy Spirit has motives. The Holy Spirit is sent by God to accomplish God's purposes. And and what happened in this room at Pentecost was the disciples were experiencing the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the breath of God. And it gave them the ability to speak in other tongues as the Spirit saw fit. So the first thing I want to point out to you is that the Holy Spirit is not passive. The Holy Spirit is not something you can just draw on when it's convenient, but it has a mission, it has a goal, it has desires for you. And in this story, we know that the Holy Spirit came upon the believers for a reason, which is in verse 5. Because there were people staying there from every nation under heaven. That the Holy Spirit desired to equip the disciples with the ability to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And I want to notice, point something out here. We'll talk about these, all these different places here in a second. But it's amazing to me, whenever we see these little details in the Bible, you know, sometimes we think that this is sort of the whole story of God. But I love seeing these details because here's this whole other group of people from all over the known world This says they were God-fearing Jews. They were following God's law. They were worshiping. And we have no idea. We have no idea about the Jews in in Egypt or in Libya. You know, we have no idea about the Jews in modern-day Iran. This is the story of God here, but God is working and moving, and the Holy Spirit of God is working and moving all around the world. You know, we talked about this a while ago with the high priest Melchizedek in the Old Testament. You know, in the story of Abram, some guy comes out of nowhere who's a priest of God, and we have no idea where he comes from. And just as a little side note tonight, this book is so amazing, but remember, this is just a glimpse into what God has done, that he is working and moving, and that the Holy Spirit plays an active role in that at all times. And at this moment in our story tonight, God desired a bunch of no-name fishermen from Galilee to preach to people from all over the world. I mean, look at verse 7. They say, wait a minute, aren't these people from Galilee? How in the world do they know Latin? How in the world do they know our our language from Libya? How in the world do they know our language from modern-day Afghanistan? You know, because these places that they list, you can look them up online and they'll show you where all these kingdoms were. Basically, it was from the far side of the Middle East, almost to modern-day Afghanistan, all the way to Rome and down to the known parts of North Africa and up through Turkey and Macedonia. I mean, people from all over the known world were there. And they were amazed at young men from Galilee, fishermen, people of no royal birth, people of no great knowledge. Galileans. And it made them confused. And verse 13 is so fun because this is almost what people think of us sometimes as Christians, isn't it? They're just a little off. You know, maybe maybe they've been drinking too much communion wine. And it's funny if you keep reading. Actually, it goes on. It says, these men are not drunk in verse 15. It says, it's only nine in the morning. You know, and I would actually encourage you this week to continue on in chapter 2 and read Peter's sermon that he addresses the crowd in. It's, it's wonderful. But as we see this, we need to see that the Holy Spirit is, is alive, is active, is moving, is doing things. 
And I, I want to point you to this broader application that we can all take for our foundation, as I was talking about. So for those of you who may not be aware, you can make a note of it. We don't have time to read it all. But in John 14, 15, and 16 is when Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. So in this section in the book of John, Jesus basically says, I'll summarize it for you, but you should read it if you're not as familiar with it. John 14, 15, and 16. In these passages, Jesus promises the disciples, he says, listen, I'm leaving. I can't be around forever. But I'm going to leave with you a helper. I'm going to leave with you a counselor. I'm going to leave with you something, someone, that you will be able to do even greater things than I did. And we know that now through Acts 2 to be the Holy Spirit. And we want as people, when we see the list Paul gives us from the things that come from the Holy Spirit, the love and the joy and the peace and the patience, we want those to be things that define us, right? I mean, who wants at their funeral, now you won't be there, but your families will be, who wants at their funeral to hear someone say, well, they were a pretty good person. You know, they were kind of loving. They were joyful some of the time when things went well for them. Or do you want to be a person who is known by these things? Do you want to be a person who is known to be generous and loving and kind because of the love of Christ in you? You know, and I hear this all the time, and people will say, oh yeah, we hear pastors talking about these things all the time, and yeah, sure, I'll try, I'll do my best, but it's not really possible. You know, I'm... I'm doing my best, as long as I'm better than some other people, and I'm never going to be perfect, but as long as I just sort of, you know, as long as I can compare myself to others, I'll feel better about myself, and it's, you know, the, the, the whole being this person, bearing good fruit, it just seems really not possible. Well, in Mark chapter 4, uh, you can turn there if you want, actually, turn to Mark chapter 4 with me. I taught on this last week in the morning service, and if you were there uh, you'll know more familiar, familiarly what I'm talking about. But this is the parable of the sower. And in Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells the parable of the sower with the different seeds, right? And he says that a farmer goes out to sow seeds, and that there's, there's the seed that falls on the path and gets eaten up by birds. There's the seed that goes in the rocky soil, springs up, and then dies. And then, still, there's the seed that grows up but gets choked by thorns. But then there's the good one. And if you look, I think it's in about verse 20. Yeah, look at verse 20, Mark chapter 4, verse 20. Others, like the seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. So let me first say this. When it comes to living this life that we all want, when it comes to trying to be these people that we desire to be, when it feels too hard, Jesus said from his very own lips that first what we must do is accept the word and believe. You must believe that this is not only possible, but that God desires it of you. You know, this is totally counterintuitive to what the world says. The world says, test everything, understand everything, and then you can accept it. Only when you understand something should you believe and accept something. But Jesus, in his own very special way, said the exact opposite. He said, hear the word and accept it, and then I will give you understanding through the Holy Spirit. And he is asking, as followers of him, to say, are you faithful and do you believe? 
And if you believe I am who I say I am, then understanding will come through the power of the Spirit. Do you believe? I mean, really, truly, do you believe that the Holy Spirit, the very breath and presence of God, is dwelling inside of you to be able to give the world what God desires? Because, Jesus says, once we believe, we will have the Spirit in the very presence of God inside of us. Remember, when Jesus was crucified, the temple curtain tore, signifying that God's presence no longer was in the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem, but was in the church. So, step one is is pretty basic, but I want to go through it again. We say we believe. We say we believe. Do you really accept it? Do you accept the word? Because to understand the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's role in your life, it won't make sense unless you believe in Jesus Christ crucified. It just won't. If you do not believe that Jesus Christ was crucified and resurrected for the forgiveness of your sins, the Holy Spirit will always seem odd and weird and you'll never get it. So if you believe and if you stand and say, yes, I am a Christian and I believe that, that is our very foundation. Belief in Jesus and acceptance of the word. This is why I think Genesis 1 is so important. Look with me at Genesis 1. When God starts his story, when God starts at the very foundation of what's most important, what he wants to tell the people, his creation, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So the crazy thing about this, there's two things I want to point out to you. One, that God obviously, we believe that God created everything. But the word it uses for created there is actually spoke. That God spoke everything into being. Right? That God, just by speaking, created all the things we see. But that secondly, the Spirit of God was there. The Spirit of God has been around for forever and will be around forever. And what's so amazing about this word in Hebrew, which is ruach, if you want to look it up, but it's it's the same word in Greek meaning breath. That which gives life. And so if we believe that Jesus Christ was who he said he was, then we believe the same spirit, the same breath of God that was there at the beginning of creation, presiding over all the earth, dwells inside of us. You know, food, we can make it a while without, can't we? Skip some meals, a couple of days. Jesus made it 40 days fasting, right? I wouldn't recommend that, but I've heard of people doing it. It's possible. Water, a day, maybe two, right? We can make it a little while without water. How long can you last without breathing? You know, I actually looked this up. It's kind of crazy. Do you know there's a free diver from Spain last year who held his breath for 24 minutes? So the world record is 24 minutes. So you, I'm serious, look it up, it's crazy, he just lay, it's, okay, totally not a serious point. 
he just lays in like a thing of warm water in a wetsuit like this. And the guy is sitting there with a stopwatch. And you think, what if he just dies? You know, keep going, buddy. Keep going. You're doing great. I love the analogy of the breath of God for the Holy Spirit. I love the analogy of the breath of God because you cannot survive without breathing. You just can't. I mean, most normal people, if we had a competition, the winner would probably be two minutes, maybe two and a half. What if we began, instead of thinking the Holy Spirit was some weird mystical thing we can't understand, or or the Holy Spirit is something that only really, really super Christians have, what if we began thinking of the Holy Spirit as our very daily breath? That you can't go a minute without it. That you can't start your day, that you can't continue your day, that you can't sleep, that you can't speak, that you can't do anything without it. That that your day revolves around breathing in the presence of God and breathing out the presence of God in all you do. You know, the Holy Spirit, on the one hand, is kind of complex, and on the other, it's really not. (laughs) We either invite it into our lives and see where it takes us and see how it leads us or we hinder it. You know, there's two passages, one in Matthew and one in Mark. Uh, Go to Matthew chapter 12 if you want. I'm going to read one for you that trip up a lot of people. You know, because you may be familiar with these, but the Bible says there's sort of two passages, or two, sorry, excuse me, one thing that is sort of unforgivable in the book of Mark or Matthew. In Matthew 12... Matthew 12, verse 32. This is the words of Jesus. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, even in this age or in the age to come. You know, in the book of Mark, it also says similarly that there is one unforgivable sin and that it is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Believe me, as a youth leader and as a pastor, I've gotten a lot of questions about this because this scares us. What if I do the one unforgivable sin? What if I'm out? Let me tell you how I interpret these texts as it relates to the Holy Spirit. We either allow the Holy Spirit to live and guide us, or we actively hinder it, or we actively say to God, I don't want you in my life, I don't want you filling me, I don't want you leading me, I don't want you giving me all you have to give me, and I'm going to actively hinder what you're trying to do. I'm going to actively rebel and go the other direction, because I don't want the breath of God in my life. And so please, Christians and brothers and sisters, do not fear that you might one day make a mistake and commit some unforgivable sin, because that's not what it's talking about. What Scripture is talking about here is there are those who will go their entire life rejecting what God has for them. And hear me now, if you believe Jesus Christ is who he said he was, this gift is for you. You will stumble, you may fall. But God is here. God is there for you with the Holy Spirit to give you breath to raise you again. And I want to share with you two things I've learned about this as I've studied this. 
The more I study and try to grasp the Holy Spirit, the more mysterious and amazing it gets. Because anyone who's, who, who likes science and has read about these things knows that science has tried really, really hard to quantify the spirit or the soul or the conscious. You know, they've tried really, really hard to sort of define it and put it in scientific terms, and they just can't. And what's amazing to me is as a Christian, and some of you know what I'm talking about when I say this, that the presence of a loving, almighty God dwelling inside of us I can't really define it, but I know it when I feel it, and I know it's beautiful. And the second thing is this, is the more mystery I see and the more power of God I want to see, the more I try to grasp it and try to control it, you know, the more I try to, it's like sand, right? The more you try to grasp sand, the more it goes through your fingers. That's kind of what the Spirit of God is like to me. The more I try to control it and lead it and say, okay, God, I'm going to go and do this. I want to say this. I want to act in this way. The more I see it slip through my fingers, but the more I slow down and let the Spirit of God breathe in me and breathe through me, the more miracles I can, I've begun to see. to see what God is doing. The more I say and take time to pray and say, God, show me how to love others today. The more I see opportunities to love others. The more I see God in prayer and attitudes and actions and in my spiritual gifts that also come from the Holy Spirit. For me, unfortunately, it's not the gift of languages. I wish it were. But the Holy Spirit gives us all gifts. So brothers and sisters in Christ, hear this. When the breath of God fills us, we are changed. Many of you know what this is like, and maybe your life is like this. When someone becomes a Christian who had nothing to do with Christ, and all of a sudden they're just totally different. I mean, just night and day, and people around them who are cynical are sitting there waiting for them to fail. Like, oh, they've changed a little bit, you know. Oh, you know, they're born again, but they're going to crash. They're going to fall. They're going to go back to their old ways. This is why I always joke that if people, for example, from when I was younger in high school, knew I was a pastor, they wouldn't believe me. If I ever went back to a high school reunion, which I probably never will, but if I ever did and told people, hey, I'm a pastor now, they would laugh. Because I am a completely different creation. God has remade me. Because when the foundation is sound, we can have this house, we can have this life that that is joyful and that is beautiful. And that's the goal, isn't it? To get out of the way and let the breath of God flow through us and all the people we see in our work and our neighbors. So I'm going to give you just a very, very simple thing as we wrap up tonight. This is sort of how I explain the Holy Spirit. And and I hope this helps you understand and helps you as we build this foundation to go forward with what the Spirit does in our life. And the first thing is this, is that as human beings in our sin, we are dead. We are. You can argue this all you want. 
feel free. I would love to have a conversation about this. But humanity in sin, as in the condition of sin, is dead. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All humanity. But because of Genesis 1, 26 and 27, we are made in the image of God. And inside of us, deep down, underneath all of the dirt and the grime and the filth of sin, is the image of God. And salvation is when we hear his voice and respond to it. Even though it's new, even though it's scary. Like Jesus said, when we hear the voice of God and we accept it. When we respond, God actually, it's like CPR, God breathes his life into us through the power of the Holy Spirit and we are raised from the dead. I mean, I cannot make it any more simple than that. If you want to understand the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the very breath of God breathing new life into you to wash away your sin, to wash away your shame, to wash away your guilt, to wash away all of the things that make you think you're not good enough, that you can't live that joyful, loving, peaceful life. The Holy Spirit does a lot of things, but it starts with breathing new life. We all know the feeling of the past life. We all know the feeling of, of sin and death and not being able to breathe. I mean, how many of you have ever been so wrapped up in, in a sin or a lie or hurt or pain, you actually have a panic attack and you can't breathe? I mean, anyone who's ever had trauma in their life knows what that feels like. Maybe the death of a loved one, maybe a loss of a, a relationship, maybe something you did, but you just sort of get to a point where you, you just feel like you can't breathe anymore. How beautiful is it that God uses the word breath? That the Holy Spirit is his holy breath that fills us. We all know the feeling of sin and death. Therefore, choose life. Your breath, your very breath, is a holy breath given freely from God. Let it be the breath of God, the Spirit of God. That gives you life, that wakes you up in the morning. When you smile and greet your neighbor. When someone criticizes you or someone attacks you that you can love and smile. Knowing that your worth is not found in another person or in work or in a relationship, but in the love and the breath of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, remember, we cannot work to attain this gift. We already have been given it freely. We must work from this gift. We must work from the Spirit in all we say and all we do and with every breath. Let us give power and honor and glory to our God. Please pray with me. Lord, this is your holy breath you've given to us. Lord, it makes us understand the scripture that says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Because we all have been given this gift. Lord, you presided over all creation. Lord, you love all of creation. But you have seen fit to give us, your sons and your daughters, the gift of your presence. May it give us life. 
And Lord, not life short-term, not life while we walk this earth, Lord, but life everlasting. Lord, you are good and your mercies endure forever. We accept this gift that comes from your love and your sacrifice, that we have a helper, that we have a counselor, that your holy breath has raised us from the dead. Lord, thank you for the gift of life. May we share it with all we come across. In the name of the Father, the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.